1869, the new podcast from Cornell University Press. In each episode, we'll be interviewing authors, chatting with Cornell University Press staff, and checking in with colleagues from other university presses to see what they're up to. We'll have giveaways, special offers, and we'll keep you up to date with all the news from the press. In our first episode, Peter Connors, author of Cornell 77, The Music, the Myth, and the Magnificence of the Grateful Dead's Concert at Barton Hall, joins us. Peter has written extensively about music and counterculture, including his books Growing Up Dead, The Hallucinated Confessions of a Teenage Deadhead, Jamerica, The History of the Jam Band and Festival Scene, and White Hand Society, The Psychedelic Partnership of Timothy Leary and Allen Ginsberg. Peter lives in Rochester, New York, where he is the publisher of BOA Editions Limited. Well, welcome, Peter. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I, it's, you know, we're exciting point here uh, in Grateful Dead history, and particularly in relation to your book, uh, with the 40th anniversary just around the corner. Um, and obviously, this show is is, is famous and and uh, important among Grateful Dead fans. But but why put it all down in the book now? Yeah, well, you know, it's it. <laughs> that was a good question that was first uh, brought up to me by Cornell University Press. Um, and I know that uh, Dean Smith and Michael McCandy had chewed over this idea for a while um, before it made its way to me. And to be honest, when they first brought it up, I thought the same thing. You know, that's that's kind of crazy. Why, why do a whole book about a single show? And um, being a deadhead myself, I, of course, was very familiar with Cornell 77. I love the show. I know how important it is to, to deadheads and um, to rock music fans. But the idea of doing an entire book about a single show was nevertheless daunting. Um, you know, the more I thought about it, though, the more I realized that you can use any single concert. And this one is extremely rich as a cipher, as a way to sort of look at the band as a whole, to look at their history um, to look at fans that heads the culture around the band, um, which is all very rich territory, and just use that particular show as the filter to look at it through. So that's what sort of, you know, sold me on the idea of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, once I got into it, I learned all sorts of interesting things about this specific show that made it richer and richer. Huh. So, well, that begs the question, right? So give us an example of, of just one of those really fascinating things that you learned from doing it. Yeah, well, I mean, there's all sorts of different anecdotes and and stuff that went into it. But, you know, really what I came away with was this very human story. You know, as much as it's a story about this great concert and this rock band and it's all exciting and everybody's, you know, having a great time. There's a lot of very human stories that went into the making of this concert. And speaking to the people who were on the Cornell Concert Commission, you know, those were great examples. These were essentially college students, Cornell college students who wanted to bring rock music to campus. Um, and frankly, we're, we're facing a bit of an uphill battle. The Cornell Concert Commission was having some financial difficulties and they had run into trouble with some rock shows on campus before that. And they really had to figure out a good way to make this concert happen. And these are you know, 19, 20 year old kids figuring their way through basically the rock music industry 
you know, negotiating around um, the sort of administration and so forth and figuring out how to bring the Grateful Dead to play at Cornell. And to me, it's not only the story of this particular concert, but it's the story of rock and roll in general. I mean, this hmm. is young people who love music and wanted to bring their favorite band to concert and they figured out to, to campus and they figured out how to make it happen. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that kind of human element, I th obviously, uh, embellishes any story, right? But it's, I think it's, it's even more uh, interesting, at, at least for me, I, you know, I'm, and I won't pretend to be any kind of Grateful Dead, uh, you know, expert in any sense. But this, what do you think about this kind of like wonderful dichotomy of, of the Grateful Dead on an Ivy League campus? Well, you know, the interesting thing is the Grateful Dead, if you look at their demographic, their audience, their demographic is, you know, college educated students, largely from the Northeast. <laughs> uh, so interestingly enough, Cornell is the exact demographic of people who love the Grateful Dead. And that was not an accident. I mean, the, the Grateful Dead pioneered touring college campuses in the Northeast, and this is starting around 1970. Mm -hmm. so there's a real concentrated, real informed, and frankly, incredibly prescient and intelligent uh, move to start playing college campuses. And they played some phenomenal shows all up and down the Northeast. And, you know, up until the end of their career, the Northeast was a hotbed, uh, not only of Grateful Dead fans, but frankly, it really made the Grateful Dead able to keep playing music and keep playing shows. You know, it, it was financially a very strong uh, place for them as well. Hmm. So do, do you think that non-fans, non non-deadheads underestimate the band's marketing savvy? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, the interesting thing is, I mean, there's there's books now and many of articles about the Grateful Dead's business, you know, business mm -hmm. structure, the way that they they sort of made their way. And, you know, they they sort of stumbled through a lot of it, but they made a lot of decisions that were um, very forward thinking, you know, and allowing people to tape their shows and circulate them is a perfect example of that. This was far before, you know, Napster, the Internet, any sort of file sharing, um, any anything like that. You know, the Grateful Dead's basic stance was once we're done with it. You guys can have it. And what it really did was provide this amazing grassroots marketing, you know, resource that preceded the band to every market that they went into. Hmm. And it was, you know, I mean, in its own way, it, it was a, it was genius by letting that happen. I mean, there's other examples, too. So I think that, you know, it's not so hidden anymore um, that the Grateful Dead were onto some things when it came to business and other things they tried. You know, there was there was an idea when they started their own record label. They thought, well, we'll, you know, we'll start our own record label. We won't have to deal with any of these other corporate, you know, entities and all these record executives who are breathing down our necks. And and hey, you know, we can even uh, mail everybody our albums and we'll get an ice cream truck. <laughs> and we'll deliver the albums, you know, around in an ice cream truck and we'll do it that way. And it'll be really cool. And, you know, obviously that's not the best distribution system. But, you know, if you don't dream these things, then they never happen. So sure. it takes having some ideas and having some dreams and having things, some things tank to make any forward progress in anything, including rock and roll. Hmm. No, that's excellent. Definitely. I mean, it's... Um... As we start now to sell the book, we should take some uh, some uh, hints from them, I suppose. Um, and we are—we're like two weeks away from the official release now. So, what are you um, what are you most excited about? As you think, you know, as an author, the book's about to be available to everyone everywhere. 
Um, what, what's, yeah, what's getting you excited now? Well, honestly, it's been a huge thrill to be a part of the Get Show in the Light um, box set. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to, to really, to be a part of, Deadheads have waited for this release of the Cornell show, the official release for 40 years. And of mm-hmm. course, we've had it on tape. You know, we've had all sorts of different quality levels of tape, and we've been able to listen to it online and so forth. But there's something about that official release, you know, with the packaging and the liner notes and the beautiful artwork and you know, Rhino really does a phenomenal job with their official releases. So to have that happening and then to have the book be a part of that box set is an absolute thrill for me, you know, as a fan and certainly as an author. So I'm really looking forward to to that release and having those ship out and get into people's hands and, you know, above and beyond that to celebrating the 40th anniversary of this amazing concert with other deadheads and and telling them some of the stories that went into it. Um, There's a lot of just, again, there's a lot of great human stories that went into this epic concert. And I love being able to uncover those and share those with with everyone. Sure, yeah, and well, we are uh, not far away from the anniversary. I'm pretty sure you're going to be uh, in Ithaca that uh, that day, so um, you know we'll be able to uh, enjoy the excitement that's going to be on campus and, and around town uh, 40 years after the date. Um, Peter, I appreciate you chatting to us for a little bit here this afternoon. All right, thank you. Not fade away. That was Peter Connors, author of Cornell 77, now available wherever you like to purchase books. If you'd like to save 30% when you purchase the book, though, visit our website, cornellpress.cornell.edu and enter code 09CP1 at the checkout. That's cornellpress.cornell.edu and enter 09CP1. You've been listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast. (laughs) 